0: Open your Bibles to Mark chapter 10. This is the last Sunday I'm going to say that. because Then we'll be in Mark chapter 11. Mark chapter 10, 46 through 52. John Wilbur Chapman was born in 1858, and he became a Christian and then an evangelist, pastor, and a songwriter. In fact, if you know the song, One Day... He wrote that song, you know, living, living, he loved me. You know that song? Dying, he saved me. There you go. You know that. There you go. I won't sing the whole thing for you. But anyways, he became a pastor in Philadelphia when he was 26 years old. And that was in the late 1800s, Bethany Presbyterian Church in Philadelphia. And when he first became a pastor there, an older gentleman came up to him. He was a businessman and he was retired. He was very wealthy and he came up to... Dr. Chapman eventually became Dr. Chapman and said, "You know, Pastor Chapman, you're not a very good preacher, but I've decided to gather uh, with another man, and we're going to pray for you every Sunday." Now, as you can imagine, that pastor was a little offended, <laughs> and but then he said, "We're going to pray that the Spirit of God will empower you to preach the gospel to." People, those two men covenanted together to pray every week for that pastor. Two became three, and three became ten. Ten became twenty. Twenty became fifty. Fifty became two hundred. So, two hundred men would gather on the Sunday morning before he preached, and they would pray for the gospel. And within three years, one thousand one hundred people were saved and joined the church. And that was a result of God doing a work to the preaching of his word and the prayers of his people. And for this month, uh, we're going to be going through a series on prayer from Matthew or from Mark, sorry, Mark chapter 10 and Mark chapter 11 here. The title of our series is Praying with faith in God. Pray with faith in God. And it really starts here in, in verse 46 of Matthew chapter 10. And it goes down through the end of chapter 11. It's it's my desire this month that we speak on prayer, but also that we reach our community. And I think both of these are must be together. We can't truly reach our community with the gospel of Jesus Christ unless we first are praying together as a church. How do we reach those around us? We can have a lot of methods and means, and we can stuff bags and go out and talk to people about Christ and go to their homes. And But first, and throughout, we must pray. We must pray. I, I look at this past year, and honestly, I go, wow, God has blessed us, and he's answered a lot of um, requests that I have made, the elders have made, many of you have made. And so I'm so excited about that. But as we go forward, how is God going to work in our church, in our lives? It's through prayer. As you know, I preach expositionally. So you might be wondering, as you look through this passage, how do you get a series on prayer from this passage? So let me just walk you through it to give a a flyover to help you see this. And as you remember, in Mark chapter 9, Jesus Uh, was up on the Mount of Transfiguration, uh, chapter 8, Transfiguration, and he was transfigured. And then he started traveling down in Mark chapter 9 and 10 to Jerusalem. So we we see him weaving through um, different towns and cities. And eventually, he makes his way down toward Jerusalem, and he meets a couple individuals. Chapter 10, we saw he met a rich man, remember that? And he asked, how can I have eternal life? And so this man asks him a question then we have the disciples. Last week we talked about this, and the disciples asked a question as well. And then last of all in our passage, we meet a blind man who asks a question. So three or really four individuals there that ask three different questions. The first two questions are full of pride, and really they have blind hearts. They're asking in faith in self and not in God. And the last man we meet here is a man who has faith in God. And he's physically blind, but he has spiritual sight to see who jesus is and so this story of the blind man bartimaeus really ends this section but transitions then into chapter 11 and so let's read mark chapter 10 verses 46 through 52 and then i'll explain how it goes on from there we've got mark chapter 10 verse 46 they came to jericho And as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples and a great crowd, Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. I think it was a little louder than that, but I tried to do it as best I can without shocking you. And the blind man said to him, Rabbi, let me receive my sight. And Jesus said to him, go your way. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him along the way. The gospel author here, Mark, documents for us a story of a blind man called Bartimaeus. It's actually recorded in Luke and in Matthew as well. And that blind man cries out to Jesus and he's healed. And really, the the two cries he has is for mercy from the Lord. In verse 52, you see kind of the climax of the story. Jesus said to him, go your way. Your faith has made you well. In this verse, Jesus highlighted the prayer of faith of Bartimaeus. He says, it's really your faith in me that made you well. And and it's really in contrast to those two previous requests that were done out of selfishness and were done out of pride. And so notice this prayer here is a a prayer to the Lord. It really starts a series of, of stories about prayer. In fact, if you look in Mark chapter 11, you see there the triumphal entry. And a crowd of people, in some sense, are praying to Jesus. Look down in verse 9. The Bible says, And those who went before and those who were following were shouting, Hosanna! And that's really uh, the transliteration of the Hebrew word, which is, Save us, we pray. So they were crying out, Save us, we pray. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Then if you look down in Mark chapter 11... Verse 17, Jesus cleansed the temple. Why did he do that? Well, he tells us in verse 17 that it says, he said, or the Bible says, he was teaching them, saying to them, is it not written, my house shall be called a house of prayer for the nations. So it was about prayer and unity or purity. But you have made it a den of robbers. And then to conclude in Mark chapter 11, verse 22, he curses a fig tree. And then he teaches his disciples about prayer, verse 22, and Jesus answers them, have faith in God. So he taught them to pray with boldness and with faith. <clears throat> Can you give me a glass of water? Sorry. So Mark weaves these stories together in a wonderful way, and he teaches us something I think Jesus really wants us to catch here. In Mark chapter 10 and 11, and that is that we should pray with faith in the Lord. And really, my title for my series here comes from Mark chapter 11, verse 22. Have faith in God. So what does it mean to pray with faith in God? And today we're going to look at it's praying with faith in God. Thank you. I don't know what's going on. I got something in my throat real quick. It means we cry out to God for mercy. Faith is expressed in prayer. And God wants us to pray in faith with him, which today we're going to look at. It means we cry out to the Lord in, for mercy. Jericho was really the last major city that Jesus visited before he entered a time his time in Jerusalem. You can almost, as you read this passage, feel the excitement as, as really thousands and and some says millions of people are going to Jerusalem. About two million people would have gathered there in Jerusalem to celebrate the week of the Passover. And so you see that in verse forty six. The Bible says, And he was leaving Jericho, and so here you have his disciples, and a great crowd leaving as well. And there are many uh, events that Mark does not record that the other gospel writers do. In fact, right before this event, right before they went to Jericho, Jesus came from Bethany. Do you remember the miracle that Jesus did in Bethany? It was the raising of Lazarus. So, And then he left from there. And the Bible says in John eleven forty five 45-46, that many Jews, after the resurrection of Lazarus, many Jews, therefore, who had come with Mary... And had seen what he did, believed in him, but some of them went to the Pharisees, they tattled, and told them what Jesus had done. And after that, the Bible says in verse 45 that he left that region, went to the wilderness, to a town of Ephraim, and then eventually made his way to Jericho. So you can imagine the, the, the conversations about people as the news that Jesus resurrected a guy that had been dead for four days. This is also the place where Zacchaeus was a saved. He, when he became a believer, Zacchaeus was from Jericho. So during his time in Jericho, Jesus visited the house of Zacchaeus. And, and the Bible says that Jesus said to him that today salvation has come to your house. Well, why did he need to be saved? Well, he was the wee little IRS agent, Right? Who ripped off everyone in the town. He was pretty much hated by people in the town. But when he saw Jesus, he recognized his sin. He confessed his sin. He received salvation from the Lord. And Jesus said, hey, this is why I came. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save those who are lost. <clears throat> not really certain why my throat all of a sudden decided to have something in it. But I'm just going to hold my glass here. So if you, wanna ha- if you, have, if you have a glass, you want to hold it up, we can do that together. So Jesus transformed Zacchaeus' life, and he gave half of his possessions to the poor. Do you remember that? So who were the poor? Blind Bartimaeus. Here's a beggar right here. you got to wonder if maybe he received some of that. With all this background, Mark introduces us to Bartimaeus sitting on the roadside, and he's begging. This was not uncommon Back at this time, if you were crippled or if you had some disability, you would have had to beg. In fact, many family members considered even their own family members that had some disability like that to be cursed. So they wouldn't even sometimes take care of them. So the only means for them to survive was to beg. And I think it's noteworthy that they actually, that Mark actually gives his name, Bartimaeus. That's kind of strange, isn't it? Because he doesn't do that with everyone in there. And so why does he give us his name? Why don't, I'm not really certain um why he gave us his name except for i think that probably that it's possible that people could have found out who this guy was i mean it could be that you you could see the name bartimaeus and 30 years later when this document this gospel is written 30 years later you maybe could go talk to bartimaeus maybe he could be a, literally an eyewitness As my little pun there eyewitness right he could say this is i saw jesus in fact it's interesting if you look at the end of, of verse forty. Uh, Verse 52 there, it says that Jesus went to Jerusalem and and Bartimaeus followed him, which means that he would have followed him down to Jerusalem. And that next week, Jesus would have suffered and died. And, And we don't know this, but you wonder, was he one of the ones that saw Jesus from a distance as he was killed? Was maybe he was one of the ones, one of the 500 who saw him after his resurrection. So that's pretty amazing. But we know this is a true story. Here's a man that's by name, Bartimaeus. Verse 47, the Bible says, when Bartimaeus heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out. So he heard some kind of commotion here. Jesus Christ was near. Maybe people around were talking about this. And I got to think this is probably the first time in this guy's life that he has hope for his life. That's a guy that actually can resurrect people. He can heal blind people. He can give sight to the blind. So here, Bartimaeus is destitute. But he heard about Jesus. And rumor had it, Jesus could do amazing things. But he wasn't wanting money, right? He wasn't wanting physical things. He wanted to be healed. So look at verse 47. It says that when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out saying, Jesus, it's probably why my throat went because I started yelling. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And the idea behind this word cry is the idea to scream out. So you can imagine this blind beggar sitting by this road. He hears Jesus is nearby and he literally screams out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy. I mean, this is a cry of desperation. This is a cry of hope. What a great picture the Bible gives us of what God wants us to do, how he wants us to come to him in prayer. We're looking at what does it mean to pray with faith in God. And praying with faith in God means we cry out to him in desperation. Here was blind Bartimaeus screaming, yelling, pleading, Jesus, come, Jesus, have mercy on me. Of course, the people say, what? You're so loud. You're annoying us. Stop it. That's how loud he was. But he kept crying out. Why? That's kind of a dumb question, right? Why? Why did he keep crying out? Because he recognized he had a need and he was desperate to have it taken care of. Sometimes when we preach on, on prayer, we can all feel really guilty, right? We can all walk away and, and say, oh, I need to pray more. Why? Because we all know we need to pray more. But let me tell you a secret. The reason... We don't pray is not because we are too busy in our schedule. It's not because we don't make time for prayer. It's because we lack the desperation to pray. It's because of our blind, self-sufficient hearts that don't think we actually need God. And the truth is, if, if we were desperate enough for God, we would pray to God. And the problem is not that we need to reschedule our life that might help with some things. But the problem with prayer is that we need to actually first see that we are desperate for God. You see, the degree to which you see you are helpless and your need for God is the degree to which you will pray. Did you get that? The degree to which you see your helplessness And your need for God is the degree to which you will pray. Now, in your home, does anyone ever yell? Does that happen in your house? I'll confess, it happens in mine, right? So there's maybe a child, and they are looking for their shorts. So think about this. Think about a child in the room looking for their shorts. And let's say it's about 8 o'clock at night. They're getting ready for bed, and they don't know where their shorts are. So they yell, Mom, it's never dad. Right? I don't know why that is. But, mom, do you know where my shorts are? Now, they're not very desperate when it's bedtime because they want to stay up a little longer, right? But how about if it's 6, uh, 730 on Saturday morning and they're late for their soccer game? It's a little different cry, isn't it? It's, mom! 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 I don't want to you know, running around maybe, maybe a little bit of anger in that. In other words, as you, as you get more desperate, your cry becomes more passionate, maybe a little louder. Or maybe a husband, or I'll throw a wife in there, just to have them be a part of the, the guilt as well. And are looking for their keys. See, these all come from personal testimony. Looking for their keys, and, they're, and it's, you know, it's at night, you're like, okay, I want to find my keys for the next day. And so, hey, do you know where my keys are? And when you say that at night, it's like, oh, you know, I'm just curious, I'm trying to find them. But when it's early in the morning, and you're late for a meeting, and you can't find your keys, and you cry out, it's a little bit more desperate. Or maybe a child needs to use the bathroom, right? So mom has just gone into the bathroom to go to the bathroom. And what does she hear five seconds after? Are you in there, mom? Right? It's like, yes, of course I'm in here. I'm using the bathroom. And usually that's not really a cry of desperation. Usually it's, I want to come in because I want to see you, right? But if the child knocks on the door and is doing the potty dance, that's a lot different, isn't it? That's, that's a cry of desperation. Some of you are like, what is that? Again, testimony, testimony. But when we see we're needy, we see our need to cry out. And the same is true with God in our prayers. The more we comprehend our need, the more we cry out to the one who can help us. And again, to the degree to which you see your helplessness and your need for God is the degree to which you will pray and will passionately cry out to him. See, when we look through these individuals that we looked at in in Mark chapter 10, that Jesus encountered, the the lowest one seems to be the beggar. He seems to be the unenlightened one far from God. And the great ones seem to be the rich man who says, I've kept all of God's laws since I was a child. And the, the disciples who are following Jesus, they seem to be blessed and near God. But notice Jesus points out the exact opposite is true. It's the weakest one that God commended. It's the weakest one that God said, your faith has saved you. The poor beggar truly was the one that Jesus referred to earlier in the passage when he said, let the children come to me. Don't hinder them, for this is what the kingdom of God is like. And here we we meet one of those children who cry out, in desperation to the Lord. Francis Schaefer's wife, Edith, was once asked on the radio, who is the greatest Christian woman alive? So think about that. What would your answer be to that? You might think of some author or, or someone out there that speaks a lot. And this is how she replied. She said, we don't know her name. She's probably dying of cancer somewhere, maybe in India. She's the weakest woman who's suffering And she's praying, and her praying is like breathing. She does it all the time, and she cries out and prays. And why is that? Because she's weak. I think she was right. The mature Christian is not the one who is great at scheduling his time, although that's good to be disciplined, right? But I think the mature Christian really is the one who is the beggar, the one who understands this is how much I need God. This is how desperate I am for God, and therefore I I go to him regularly and constantly in prayer, and I cry out to them. So what's the solution for our lack of praying? When we think about that, when we think about the guilt of, oh, I should pray more, what's our solution? Well, I think we need, like Jesus called the rich man and and the disciples to, to shed the pride and self-dependence of our hearts and just be honest with God. Go to Go to him in prayer. I frankly go to him with his word. When I pray, I I'm almost, always ha- almost always have my, my Bible open and looking in God's word so I can think about and consider the great and high lofty God. And the truth is when we have a high view of God, we go to our knees in prayer. When we have a low view of God, then we lack a prayerful life. You know, Jesus had a high view of his father, didn't he? Very high view, because he was one with the Father. But what do you see Jesus doing all the time? He's praying all the time. In fact, the Bible says that Jesus taught his disciples to do the same thing. John 15, 5, Jesus says, I'm the vine. Disciples, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, that's the idea, that I'm praying, I'm in his word, I'm having this relationship with him, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do some things. Nope, you can do nothing. So this cry to the Lord is rooted in relationship. We cry to him because we trust him and we love him. So praying with faith in God means we cry out to God. And notice who we pray for or who we pray to is what we place our faith in. So think about that. Who we pray to is what we place our faith in. And what is that? It's in God. We are to pray with faith in God. So God is the object of our faith. So what did did this blind man believe about God, or particularly here, Jesus, the Son of God? What did he believe about him? Well, notice he believed that he was the Messiah King and also, what did he believe Jesus could do? He believed Jesus could give him mercy. Now, how did, how did Bartimaeus learn this? Like, how did he learn that Jesus was the Messiah? How did he learn that he could? We don't know. The Bible doesn't say. We can speculate that maybe he heard people talking about it. Maybe as people drop coins in his lap there, and he had his cloak over his lap, and people would drop a coin. they say, hey, did you hear about this guy? So somehow he heard about jesus, but but notice how specific and accurate he was about the person of Jesus Christ look in verse forty seven he cries out, "What? Jesus, son of David, This is a messianic title. He is really um, teaching what he's taught at other times, or I should say he's he's uh, Jesus taught this at other times, mark chapter twelve verse thirty five he taught. That the scribes say that Christ is the son of David. So he's saying, listen, the Messianic title of the son of David is the title of the king. In fact, we can read through this passage here and see this was back in 2 Samuel chapter 7 when Nathan the prophet told David, hey, there's going to be one that's going to come. He will be a king that will establish the throne of Israel forever. Well, who's who's the only person that can establish an eternal throne? That's God himself. And so... So Israel looked for this greater son of David to take the throne. And this blind man, he believed that Jesus was that one. And notice even more what he believed that one could do for him. Look in verse 48. Many rebuked him, him telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. The crowd saw this blind beggar as an annoyance but that didn't stop him he kept crying out in fact the gospel of of matthew says that there were two men there two blind men so and but bartimaeus he's the only one we know the name of so i wonder if bartimaeus actually invited him to join him you know hey i believe in this jesus you want to cry out with me let's come on together two are better than one let's scream jesus have mercy upon us finally they get the attention of Jesus. Now consider this. Jesus could have, when he first walked into the city, he could have gone right over to Bartimaeus. He could have healed him without Bartimaeus saying anything. Throughout this time in the city, he could have come at any time outside the city and seen Bartimaeus and healed him. Bartimaeus didn't actually have to even say anything. Jesus just could have come right over. The first time Jesus heard Bartimaeus say, have mercy on me, Jesus could have healed him or come over and just healed him. So there's this delay why is that? Why, why is it, do you think, that Jesus, in some sense, made him delay and keep crying out? I mean, some, someone might look at this and say, well, that wasn't very loving of Jesus. Why didn't you just go ahead and heal him? Well, I think it's because Jesus knew what was more valuable than having eyes that see. What Jesus truly wanted from Bartimaeus and really from all of us is he wanted him to depend upon him. He wanted him to to exercise faith. And the lay gave this this man an opportunity to cry out in faith to Jesus. And I think the beautiful part of the story in God's eyes is not just the healing. I think it's actually his crying out for mercy to God. And I think this is really a great picture of what, what Jesus wants us to see in this passage. Sometimes God allows pain, ...in our life. Sometimes it goes a little longer than we desire. Sometimes it never goes away. Sometimes like Paul, God allows... ...Paul the Apostle, God allows the thorn in our flesh to stay there. And though he asked and asked and asked, the Lord never took it away. And and why did Paul say that again? Why did he say that God allowed that to stay, that pain in his life? So God would show him that in his weakness... In Paul's weakness, he can find strength in the Lord. And if you're a Christian here and you're facing a difficulty in your life, listen, I want you to recognize this, that God, the most important thing to the Lord is he wants to build your faith. He wants to build your faith. I can think about times in my life. I can think about times in some of your lives when there were some very difficult things in your life. And as you look back at that, if you trust the Lord through that, if you walk with the Lord through that, You can look back and you don't, you don't take joy in the pain. You don't take joy in the problems, but you look back and you go, what, you know what? That was one of the greatest times in my life. In fact, this past week, we were talking to a couple and we were talking about one of those times in our life. It was really difficult. And we said, you know what? And I said, you know what? That was probably one of the best times of my life. Not because of the pain, not because of the sorrow, but because that was a time where we depended upon the Lord. You can testify if you're a Christian here and you've gone through suffering and difficulties and trust the Lord that that time of pain brought joy because you found your strength in the Lord Jesus Christ. The joy of the Lord is our strength. God, what God sees as more beautiful than healing and anything else is he sees the beauty of faith and of trusting him. Sometimes people look at this passage right here and they try to claim, okay, Jesus healed Bartimaeus and every person that wants to be healed, they just have to believe and they can be healed like he did to this man. Well, that's just simply not true. There are times when God heals and sometimes it's miraculous and there are times when he doesn't. And when you have an eternal perspective and you recognize my body's going to die in a couple years anyways, or maybe sooner than that, then you recognize what's most important is our soul. And God is not building a pain-free life God is building our faith. So look at verse 49. The Bible says, And Jesus stopped and said, Call him. And they called the blind man, saying to him, Take heart, get up. He's calling you. And look at his faith in the Lord. Throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus. One commentator noted that the cloak was usually put across their lap so they could collect the coins. So when Bartimaeus threw off his cloak, he was leaving behind his coins and his beggarly life. In fact, it's somewhat dangerous for a blind person like that just to stand up and jump up and leap forward. And so here this man is leaping forward in faith. In verse 51, the Bible says that Jesus said to him, what do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. Now, that question should sound familiar. Do you remember that question before? It was found in verse 36. Jesus asked the same question to James and John when they were where they were asking a question that was filled with pride and self seeking exaltation. They wanted to be lifted up in pride. That was the answer to their question. But what was the answer to his question? He just wanted to be normal. <laughs> he wanted to be able to see. And so Jesus said to him in verse 52 Go your way. Your faith has made you you well and immediately he recovered his sight and followed him on the way now jesus replied to him is actually very fascinating if you look on and in jesus replies he says go your way your faith has and look at those two look at that, the verb right there has made it's a very interesting word in the greek it's sozo which means to save it's actually not typically used to talk about healing someone it's actually typically used to talk about someone's soul being saved in fact the bible uses this uh, word a couple of times in Matthew chapter one, verse 21, the same Greek word is used when uh, the angel is speaking to Joseph regarding Mary and what Jesus would come and do. And Mary was going to have a son, Jesus. So Matthew one, 21 says, she, Mary will bear a son. You shall call his name, Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. This was the word actually used uh, in Luke 19 for his, for Zacchaeus, when he repented of his sins and believed in Jesus, Jesus said, Salvation has come to your house. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. In fact, this word is is not really the word used uh, at other places. I couldn't find it used for healing. It usually was connected with or on its own with the salvation of someone's soul. So Jesus is saying here, you could say it literally like this, Your faith has saved you. And that's why some translations translate it that way. And obviously his faith saved his body from blindness, right? But also I think there's more than that to this, and that's Jesus here, I believe, saved his soul. And you say, well, how do you know that? Well, look at the end of uh, verse number uh, 52 there. What does it say that he did after he received his sight? And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him on the way. So he was saved, and we see the evidence of that, that he followed Jesus after that. So Jesus saved him from continued blindness, so he had sight, and also saved his soul from separation from God. Therefore, which one do you think was the greater miracle? As you look at this and you say, this was a great miracle, which one was the greater miracle? Was it his eyes receiving sight, or is it his soul being saved by Jesus? Both are impossible, right? But the greater one really is the one that's going to impact him for eternity, forever. What is the greatest need? What is the greatest need that you have in here today? As I asked you a couple weeks ago, if I were to ask you, what is your greatest need, what would you say? The greatest need for each of us is not the new job that we're hoping for or more money or, frankly, even healing. What we need more than anything else in this world is we need the salvation that Jesus provides. The greatest need is for us to have a close, dependent relationship with Jesus, our King. And if you're without Christ in here, then your greatest need is to come to Christ, repent, and believe in him. And if if you're a believer in here, our, our greatest need is to be closer to the Lord in dependence and faith in him. Jesus looked upon this man, Bartimaeus. He saw his need for blindness, heard his request for sight, but Jesus was able to see deeper into his soul and his desire and his faith to have Jesus save him. And what was it that that healed Bartimaeus and gave him salvation? Look in verse 52. What was it that actually gave him salvation? Yep. The Bible says, go your way, your faith... Has made you well. What does that mean? Like some read this and they say, "Well, Bartimaeus was healed because the amount of faith he had." Well, first of all, Jesus doesn't say that. Simply, he just simply says, "Your faith healed you." Some people falsely look at this, construe from this that that if you don't get something from God, it's because you don't have enough faith. You know, it's like a it's like a scale of one to ten. You know, if your faith is a five, you don't get the answer till it's a ten. So some some construe this for gather this from this or or it's a kind of the idea if you don't have the, a good quality of faith like you need better quality of faith or quantity of faith well, but the problem is first of all it doesn't say that here secondly it's kind of arrogant to come to God that way what, what saved the blind man was not the quantity or quality of his faith it was the object of his faith right and who was the object of his faith it was Jesus. uh, A while back, I was painting in my house, and I did the lazy thing, and I decided to get a chair to paint, and it was one of those folding chairs. So I put the chair against the wall, and I stepped up on it to paint, and guess what happened? I fell right through it and didn't hurt myself too bad, just my pride. But what was the problem with that chair? I placed my faith in that chair. Was it that I didn't have enough faith in the chair? You know, If I had a little bit more faith, I would have been able to stand on it. I mean, was it the quality of faith? You know, I didn't think about it enough. Like I didn't really go, okay, I'm really gonna believe this time. What was the problem? The object of my faith, right? And what I did after that, I wised up and got a step stool <laughs> and stood on top of that and painted with that afterwards. And the problem and I should say the solution here is found in the object of his faith, and that is Jesus. And when when Jesus says your faith saved you, he was saying your faith in me saved you. Jesus was the one who saved him. It wasn't his own faith. It wasn't like the idea that he had some type of great faith. That's why God saved him. It's because he had faith in Jesus. You could say it like this. Jesus saved him when he trusted that Jesus could save him. He was saved because he places faith in God's mercy. Places faith in God's mercy. And really, the contrast here here's a man who completely depends upon Jesus Christ. He's saved. And then before that, Jesus encounters men who depend upon themselves. So he had faith in God. He had faith that Jesus could give him mercy. And that's really the heart here of this is that God is a God. Of mercy, which is the idea that that God can do something for you that you can't do. In fact, you deserve the exact opposite. You don't deserve anything from God except his wrath. But he is willing to give you his mercy. The prayer of mercy here is the prayer of a man like David in the Old Testament who committed adultery. But what does he cry out to the Lord after he recognizes his sin and repents and turns to the Lord? Have Mercy on me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. The prayer of faith for mercy is is a prayer like Saul, who also was called Paul, who was a religious fanatic, threw people in jail because they disagreed with him about his religion. And then he saw the glory of Jesus and the mercy of God upon his own soul. And he writes to the Ephesians, says, we, that's including me, were by nature children of wrath. We deserve to be under the punishment of God like the rest of everyone else. But God being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, he made us alive. He gave us spiritual life. Why? Because he's merciful. It's the prayer of mercy of a man like Titus who was a Gentile outside of God's chosen people who lived a life. Of paganism, but then he trusted in the mercy of God, and so Paul writes him and says, "Titus, he saved us, you and me, not because of our works done by our, us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy." The prayer, of mercy, is a prayer by a man like Peter, who, while Jesus was suffering for his sins, he denied him three times and walked away, but he trusted. Later on, he trusted that he was a born-again son of God because of God's mercy. And so he wrote to the churches that God is to be blessed. According to his great mercy, he caused us to be born again. He caused us to be born again. So the prayer of mercy is for us. And friend, can I just say the prayer of mercy is for you? We should cry out to the Lord, recognizing how far we are from God and how undeserving we are, but cry out that He will come near and apply His promises to us. Praying with faith to God means we recognize that God is a God of mercy, and we pray like this beggar, not demanding anything from God, not bringing anything to God, but asking the Lord to extend His mercy. What does it mean to pray with faith in God? It means we pray crying out in dependence upon him. It means we pray with faith, believing he is the one who can give us his mercy. He is who he says he is. It means we cry out to him for his work in our life. Let's pray. As we close here in prayer... I wonder if the Lord has worked in your heart in any particular way. Maybe you're wrestling with your relationship with the Lord. Maybe you're struggling with that. Like this blind beggar, would you just cry out to the Lord in your seat, in your heart, for God's mercy? Maybe you're a believer in one of the, Part of the Lighthouse Bible Church, maybe you're visiting with us today and you're a believer and and you say, you know what? I need to pray more. I know I need to depend upon God more. Let me encourage you to recognize your need for the Lord by going to his word and then just saying, Lord, I'll just be honest. This is who I am and I need your help. Crying out to him in mercy. Let's pray. Father, we need to be, we want to be like this blind beggar where we see our need for you. Like Jesus taught us that we realize that without you, Lord, we can do nothing. And oh, how prideful. Oh, how foolish we are. To think that we can live this life, we can live the life of a Christian without you, Lord. Oh, God, break us from that from that heart of pride. Humble us before you so we can receive your grace. And I pray for us as a church. We want to be, by your grace, God, we want to be a praying church. We want to cry out, Lord, have mercy on this city, on our country, on our neighbors, on our loved ones, on our friends. And we want to pray according to the character of God and the word of God. No, oh, Father, we want to see you work. We want to see you work. We think about James, who says the prayer of a righteous person avails much we find our righteousness in you and we cry out to you and ask that lord you'll help us to be a praying church put in our life what you need to so that we will be dependent upon you because what you see is beautiful god we truly believe this what you see is beautiful our hearts that are trusting you hearts that are depending on you and that's the kind of heart That we want to have. And I pray for anyone in this room right now. That is without Christ. May they see the most valuable thing in this world. Is their soul. The salvation of their soul. And I pray they'll come to you today. And may you. Jesus. By your spirit. Lord by your plan. Father by your plan. May you make this church to be in the image of Jesus Christ. For the glory of God. In Jesus name. Amen.